a really quick and exciting announcement to make. The Menopause and Cancer podcast is now also on YouTube, and I'm so excited that more people now get to watch our conversations. So the link to the YouTube channel is in our show notes. Please go and subscribe to the channel so that more people who need to hear our conversations are able to find them. Thank you. Welcome to the Menopause and Cancer podcast, where we speak with cancer patients, survivors, and incredible experts in their fields to help us find solutions to our symptoms and ideas to improve our health. My name is Danny Binnington, and today I'm delighted that we're going to be talking about your relationship with alcohol. Should you cut down? Should you cut it out? Have you been thinking you really need to moderate a little bit more, but it's really hard managing and navigating social situations? Maybe you're thinking, I'm really quite happy as I am, but everyone is talking about dry January and it's been driving me mad. Maybe you're thinking you've been doing dry January and you want to take this into the rest of the year. Maybe you're not quite sure where you're at, but it's an interesting conversation because people around us are all talking about alcohol, how it's really bad for us, and that leaves us with a lot of feelings of guilt. And so in today's episode, I'm delighted to bring in an amazing woman for us who is going to help us look at all of these questions. Danny Carr is a podcaster. She runs a fantastic podcast called How I Quit Alcohol. I have often tuned into many of her episodes over the last few years because they're really life-affirming. Danny is also a coach, and she helps people make that transition in having a different relationship with alcohol, and she is so compassionate, which is why I really wanted to bring Danny onto the show today. As you can imagine, there are so many people speaking on this topic, but not many people speak with the compassion and wisdom that Danny does. And so I can't wait to welcome her in. Make sure that you're listening to this and really reflect on everything we're saying. Some of the things might resonate and other things might not resonate at all. And that's totally okay. I'm just here to open the conversation for all of us. Hello, Danny. Thank you for joining me today. Hi, Danny. How are you? Thanks for having me. I'm very well. Look, I am here with a mocktail. <laughs> I have made myself a lovely mocktail. I've got a glass of water. I'm not quite so exotic. Not yet. At the end of um, the show, once you've left us with all of your wisdom, I'm going to pop down into the kitchen and make my favorite mocktail and I'm going to talk people through. So whoever's listening, if you want to join me for a little mocktail session, then you're very welcome to. Danny, I have introduced you. People know who you are and what you do, but I want to tell you a little bit about the talks many of the women in our in our community have. And so, for example, this is a conversation. Do you drink alcohol or have you stopped? I find my brain fog is horrendous. If I have one or two drinks, I have hot sweats. I can't sleep. If I stop drinking completely, I have so many less menopausal side effects. I'm 51. I've had a hormone positive breast cancer. I've read that without estrogen, your body struggles to process the alcohol. And I read that processing alcohol creates estrogen. Plus, alcohol is a carcinogenic, so maximum week is three units. But I miss the social fun of drinking. I miss the 7 p.m. treat of a glass of wine. I miss a glass of wine with dinner. I'm really struggling to get my head around this new relationship with alcohol. The flurry of messages to this conversation was huge and all-encompassing. People came onto the conversation and said, 
None of my doctors said I should stop drinking. In fact, my surgeon said, carry on drinking your favorite glass of red. Other women say, I tried to stop. It made no difference. I'm now sticking my two fingers up to fear. I'm going to carry on living my life. I can't let my fear govern every day of my life. And many mm. people say they would like to moderate. They would like to cut down. But the societal pressures are huge. Now, yeah. I know you understand all of our dilemmas. Because that's what you surround yourself with every single day of your life. Just hearing what that person had said, I, I really felt for them too. Because I'm imagining that there's a, a fair amount of grief that happens when you get given a cancer diagnosis, or you lose your breasts, or everything has changed. The whole lifestyle has changed, and then sometimes to give up something that you've enjoyed before in the past may feel like an extra loss on, on top of that. So I just wanted to acknowledge that as well. Um, yeah, yeah, because it's it's big. There's so many changes I'm that you'd have to go through. So yeah, yeah, mm -hmm. and I think it's really important to acknowledge that alcohol alone doesn't cause the cancer. It's a risk factor, and like we do so many things, like we sometimes cross the road without maybe looking um, as thoroughly because we might be on our phone. We're increasing our risk, perhaps. So it's all about increasing reduction and every single person listening to this will have a different history. Um, you've run your How I Quit Alcohol podcast since 2018 and you've had so many conversations just around alcohol. Can you tell us why are we all really drinking before we get into a bit of a coaching session from you? Because I also know what everyone listening to this is going to be drinking for different reasons. So before You even coach us through how to change our behavior. Why are people drinking? Hey, thanks for listening to this episode. 73% of people who listen to my podcast haven't yet clicked the follow button on their podcast player. I want these conversations to reach as many women as possible who might need it. So if you've ever enjoyed this podcast, please hit the follow button now. Look, and like you say, it's different for everybody. Everyone's drinking for different reasons. But basically, I think what is underlying for everybody is that there is a certain level of discomfort. And usually there's, well, we, we have our first drink of alcohol and it gives us something. Like if it didn't give us something, we wouldn't do it. So there's a certain amount of pleasure that's involved in that as well. So not only the, I guess, the chemical pleasures that we get from it, the dopamine, things like that, but I know a lot of people when I ask them when they, when do they first start drinking and what did it do for you, usually the comments come back like, well, it helped me fit in, it made me feel confident, I felt accepted, um, it made me forget the noise in my head. They're the sort of the, the main ones that's, that come up when I'm talking to someone on the podcast or coaching someone initially. And then, of course, that becomes the habit, I guess. Oh, well, if I feel uncomfortable, I'll just do that thing again and that will help me. So what we learn to associate, I guess, is when we feel uncomfortable, I'll have this thing and it will help me. So as we get older, I guess, and the decades go by, we feel stress, our nervous system's a bit dysregulated. We haven't been taught how to calm the farm for ourselves. So we just go to that old thing. Oh, I remember that thing you know, it's on a subconscious level, that makes me feel good, I'll just do that. And it's a shortcut, right? And it, and it does work. It works for that momentary, uh, I guess that just that moment in time, it works momentarily, but I guess it's the long-term effects that we have to 
then once it starts to cause more suffering for us, then we've got to kind of look at it and go, ooh. But one of the, like, I guess the main things that come up for me later on when I'm working with people when they've got, you know, down the track, the binge drinkers seems to be the classic not feeling comfortable, like being socially awkward. And I wasn't, that was the reason I was drinking, but I didn't realise that at the time. I actually thought I was just drinking for fun. But it's not until you take something away sometimes that you that you kind of then understand what it's doing for you. So this is one thing I'll say to people, okay, well, if it's, you know, try not doing it and see what happens, see what the result of that is and see if you feel uncomfortable, what comes up for you. And that's a really good indicator as to why we're doing it. So, yeah, so definitely for me, I would feel uncomfortable at a party and or just in general socialising with people. And so I'd drink and drink and drink and get louder and louder and louder and eventually black out because I was chasing that, you know, I was getting away from this feeling even though I didn't realise that until I'd done the work much later on. And it, it just seems to be as well with people that I coach, most people are actually introverts. So I always thought I was the life of the party, the big loud person, but really I was actually introverted and just having a, you know, I just felt so nervous and so self-conscious and so I was just drinking to escape those feelings. So Gabor Mate says when we go, like when we start to talk actually about addiction, he always says an addiction is just an attempt to soothe something that's going on inside of us. So, you know, it could be anything from I can't handle being in my own company. That's too much for me to sit in my own feelings. Um, so I drink, you know, I I need to calm down at the end of the day. It's my reward. Um, so I drink. So, but really what's going on is, yeah, we're feeling a bit maybe tired, dysregulated, stressed from work. And so we're looking for something to take that away, which is natural. Like if we don't know how to, I guess, counteract those feelings or how to work with those feelings, we're going to go with something that we know. So my approach is very compassionate. I try to, I'm much more gentle, probably not one of those coaches that's like, you know, like gets down your throat about it, but more trying to really understand what's driving the either the addiction or the need to want to do this thing, even though it's having a, a negative impact, if it is having a negative impact on, on you or on a person. So, Danny, was there a moment for you where you thought, I have to cut down my drinking or I have to mm. cut it out altogether? Or what was your yeah. journey like? Yeah, I was thinking it probably for years, actually. So I quit. So we've been quit for six years now. But I think, geez, probably for a good 15 years, I think, maybe even longer, there was just episodes of just drinking, getting so drunk, waking up the next day, just hating myself, not remembering the night before, thinking I'm never going to do that again. And then also thinking, okay, I've got this under control now, like I'd have, say, two weeks off or something like that, and I've got this, I'll just have one or two. And the same thing would happen, like I'd go out to a social event and then just be absolutely wasted, and the same kind of thing kept happening. And then when we had kids, so we've got two daughters, and I just remember right towards the end of our drinking just starting to, like, just yeah, these big blackouts, behaving in ways that I didn't like, waking up the next day, just all the dread, who did I call, who did I text. Then it was getting to the point of I don't remember putting the kids to bed last night or I don't remember if they had dinner. Like, And that was just 
horrendous for me. I just, and you feel that sick feeling in your stomach of, oh my God, oh my God. And looking for evidence that they'd eaten the night before, or, you know, a nappy was on and, and it was just like, and it wasn't every day either. So it could be like once every two weeks for me or once a week, but just that was enough. And it was scary. Like, like what sort of mother, you know, am I being to my kids? And I've, you know, pride myself on being a good mum, but yet I was having these instances where, you know, not remembering what had happened with them the night before and also not enjoying my time with them. So if I was starting to drink, I would like literally beg my husband or someone else, can you do the bedtime routine? And, you know, so all those things I was missing out on. Um, My husband's a touring musician, so he'd be away a lot. And so then, you know, I'd feel lonely and then I was probably starting to drink more. And then I just thought, oh, this just sucks so much, but I didn't, I couldn't imagine a life without alcohol and I didn't imagine I could ever give it up forever. And I I didn't really want to at the time. I just wanted to get it under control, but I was starting to realize that's just not happening. Like I just can't, like, I just can't seem to control this thing when I do it. So we just, a friend of my best friend said, I'm going to take a year off. And I just said, I'm in, I'm doing it as well. So my husband joined in and a few other friends joined in and we made this pact to not do it for a year and that's sort of how it kind of happened that's how it started anyway and it was probably after the 12 months doing lots of work on myself lots of work on my thought patterns things like that I just thought I can't go back to that I don't want to go back to that so I never said I'm never drinking again but what I said was I can't go back I'm not going back yet or, or, or maybe ever that was sort of the the I guess the vow that I made that I just, I can't go back. And that was six years ago. So, and to be honest, Danny, like you couldn't pay me to drink alcohol. Like I just find it revolting (laughs) now. I can't stand it. I think I've brainwashed myself over the years to just, (laughs) I just can't stand it. It's, it scares me a little bit too, to be honest. When I think about how I feel in myself now, I never would have thought that was possible. Like I really hated myself. Honestly, I did. I just... Oh, and my thought patterns were shocking. I was full of anxiety, couldn't look at myself in the mirror, had no self-love. And I think just think that came from years of just waking up, saying things to myself every morning or often, oftentimes, oh, you, you've done it again. Fuck, you did it again. You said you weren't going to do this again. And here you go again. And you fucked up. And, you know, all these things of, you know, speaking to myself in that way. I just thought, I can't go back to that. I don't want to go back to that for a drink. No. So that's what happened. Yeah, that's, yeah, in a nutshell anyway. So this is a situation when alcohol really interferes with someone's everyday life. And you kind of think I could see how you thought you should maybe make a change and there was that guilt around all of that. When I read the example to you from the lady in our community, who actually doesn't drink that much. The alcohol doesn't probably interfere with her life, apart from she notices when she has one or two drinks, her menopausal symptoms become worse. But there is another driver, and that driver is, am I increasing my risks of a recurrence? Is alcohol really bad for me? And so the guilt comes. You had the guilt of maybe being not a great mummy or you should feel like you should have done better. Whereas this woman is thinking she's feeling guilty that she doesn't do everything to reduce her risks of recurrence, for example. And so that's a really different drive, isn't it? 
And this is what I want to come to is I really, at the end of our conversation, want people at home to understand what drives them and what is their motivation to either change what they're doing or keep it as it is, because maybe it's all right, whatever they're doing. Absolutely. And the other thing is, I feel like if there's shame and guilt in the equation ever, it just doesn't help. And in fact, I think it just makes the whole thing worse. We end up feeling so guilty and so full of shame and that creates anxiety, more cortisol, as you'd know. So, you know, all those kind of feelings, those negative thought processes and those negative thought patterns, I think create more of what we don't want. And, and I, you know, and I think that creates more inflammation in the body from the more cortisol that we create from those negative thoughts as well. So looking at it from a much kinder perspective of perhaps maybe changing the thinking around it, well, how do I want to feel? How do I want to feel? And what's what's sort of the blockage for me in getting to where I want to feel? So rather than I shouldn't be doing this and that's going to make things worse and da, 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 da. But actually long-term, how do I want to feel about myself? That's what I did. I kept thinking, how do I, how do who do I want to be? How do I want to feel? And what do I need to do to do that? And what do I need to do? And what do I need less of to get there as well? So perhaps looking at it in a more softer, more gentle approach that I want to. So t- typically if, if someone say yourself, if, if I was to say to you, well, how do you want to feel? Um, what would your answer be, Danny? Well, I did also make a pact with myself, a bit like you, and that is going back many years now, January 2014, where, no, actually it was the the Christmas before then, where I had, and I I think some of our listeners will remember, I think I told the story before, where I booked myself onto a yoga retreat with my yoga teacher. It was just a one day. And the night before, I had a couple of large glasses of wine, red wine, and I wasn't even tipsy or, you know, it was just a gathering and we were at a friend's house and that's what everyone did everyone had alcohol there wasn't an evening where people didn't drink and the next morning that was after chemotherapy for myself and that was going through sort of temporary menopause I felt so bad I felt I couldn't participate properly on that yoga retreat day where I really was looking forward to it I had to go and sit in the car I was sick in the toilet it was awful And I actually had prepared a lot for it. My husband had to look after our three children. It was a big ask to take that day out of our weekly schedule. And that was the day I decided I I have not come this far and worked so hard at getting through cancer and cancer treatment to then make myself feel so rubbish. And it was such a clear moment for me that I was going to do everything in my power to just wake up feeling the best I can. And even having one glass of wine is not making me feel the best I can the next morning. And so that was a clear catalyst for me. But I know many people don't have that big moment, but they they mm-hmm. have maybe what they haven't quite worked out why they're drinking in the first place. Then it's much harder, isn't it, to understand how you can get yourself to the place where you want to be. Can you explain to me yeah. that when you decided to stop drinking, how was your life for you then? Because my life became really different, suddenly rocking up everywhere, teetotal. And I've navigated this, you know, for over 10 years now. So it's different mm-hmm. again. But how mm. was it for you? You say you thought you were an extrovert, life and soul of the party. Mm. And suddenly you went to all of these things and you didn't drink. How was that experience? Yeah, it took me quite a while to get used to it. So at first, I'd go to things and like, oh my God, like this is full on. And I'd be so self-conscious, all those things. Remember I said earlier 
if you want to know why you do something, why you're doing something, don't do it. And then you start to realize everything gets exposed because we're used to pushing the feelings away. I never actually sat with them really before. Before that, I'd been to things pregnant, obviously, but you kind of, everyone's focusing on that. You're focusing, you're talking about the baby. And so it's different. Um, so it was very difficult. I'd feel so uncomfortable. And because I didn't understand really what was happening, I was just like, oh my God, I hadn't put two and two together. I just feel very uncomfortable. So what I would do early on was just decided, okay, sometimes I wouldn't go to things or otherwise I'd set a time limit. I'll only go, and I still do actually, Danny, to be honest, I won't go to things all night. I'll say, yes, I'll come, but I'll just come for a couple of hours. And so then I would start, I started to do that. And I just had to kind of sit with the uncomfortable feelings. And I remember my husband said to me once, we were talking about it. We'd been at a party at the neighbor's place. I said, oh God, like I got busy. I, I made, I helped make one of the dishes and I took all the stuff to make it there. And I was saying to my husband, how did you go? And he said, oh yeah, I was so uncomfortable. I said, oh, did that, like, how do you feel about feeling uncomfortable? And he said, well, I just kept thinking to myself, yeah, I'm comfortable. That's, of course, I'm uncomfortable. I'm sober around all these people I don't know and that's okay. Just don't freak out about it. And I was like, oh, Okay. So that I kind of started to think a bit like that, like, yep, yeah, I'm uncomfortable and that's okay. And I just started to ease off myself a bit rather than getting all in my head. And of course, now I've got other practices like breath techniques and things like that, but I didn't back then. So that was really helpful. Just those little things you'd pick up along the way to say, oh, okay, yeah, that works. I'll try that. But look, I'm not going to lie. It was uncomfortable. And the hardest thing for me was dealing with people that perhaps expected me to drink and were pressuring me to drink for a while. And then of course, not being invited along to things like that was big. You know, I had a, a what I thought was a very strong social group and then suddenly not being invited to things anymore. And, you know, of course you take these things personally. It was probably nothing to do with me really it was that, that they maybe it would have made them feel uncomfortable. And I know some of my friends that didn't drink, I've found them boring. So I wouldn't invite them <laughs> <laughs> back then when I was still drinking. So I guess they were going through the same thing. It's important to remember that as well. But, you know, as long as the focus, I kept also playing it forward, just kept thinking, well, I know how I want to feel. I know how I want to feel short-term and long-term. And both of those, I want to feel clear. I want to feel confident in myself. I know that the alcohol would give me short-term confidence, but I knew long-term like if I had a big night, say, with the neighbours, I wouldn't want to leave my house for two weeks because I'd be so embarrassed. So we're talking at, you know, different ends of the scale here. But so, yeah, I guess I just would have to keep playing it forward and just keep thinking about how how do I want to feel? And I know if I drink, I'm not going to feel good. I know it's, I know how this is going to end if I drink this. So I would just try and focus on that and just have a glass of soda water, feel uncomfortable, go home. But I'd get home. Sometimes I'd have put clean sheets on the bed. So I knew when I got home, I was getting into nice clean sheets and wash my face or have a shower. And that felt really nice to get into bed. You know what it's like when you have clean sheets. So you know what? That's that's so funny because um mm-hmm. I had a really similar strategy and I would come home. So I would often and my friends will laugh at this because I've got this gorgeous group of friends here where I live in Surrey in, in the UK. And they were all new mums from school. And at the same time, I stopped drinking. So I had to make a whole new group of friends um, because we had moved in a whole new place where I'd never lived Mm -hmm. before. 
sober. So I was only drinking for three months. I was still wearing my wig. January, the, you know, 2014 came and it, it was quite incredible. I was then suddenly having to make and form all these friendships, but not drinking. And I have this gorgeous group of friends that really accepted me for who I was. And they never made me feel uncomfortable. They never pressured me. And I hear from so many people, though, that people almost want you to celebrate with alcohol with them. Say they have a birthday party or something else. They sort of almost are a little bit disappointed if you're not sharing their celebration, their birthday or whatever it is with alcohol and, and getting drunk. Absolutely. But I would yeah. then escape early. And so they would laugh about it. So I would leave early by, you know, 12 something, I would be gone. I would just sneak out the door and I'd be gone, but I'd go home and I'd have a ritual. I'd tear, tie my hair back. I'd put a little hairband on. Um, I really washed my face, brushed my teeth, did a bit of flossing, put a, a face mask on as well. And I would wake up the next morning feeling even better than on a, on a normal night. And That's I love right. that because yeah. I, I got enough sleep. I made sure I was hydrated. And I, so I woke up after my little mini spa and that almost I had to sort of trick myself into, into mm. believing that this was a better way of doing it for me, but over and over and over again. And I sometimes still do that. Um, and now, which is really quite funny, when I know I'm going out, for example, and I know I'll be out late or later, I almost lay it all out for myself. I'm like, I'll be coming home. I'll have my little mini spa night and I'll be fresh as a daisy the next morning um, and so I wonder if people can start replacing some habits and I want to talk to you about that because it's very mm. much about how do we take that edge off but before I tap into some of your tips if someone is thinking I'm only having two or three drinks for example a week mm. and so there might not be enough reason in terms of thinking you should cut out does moderation work? So in all of those years, and you've spoken to hundreds and hundreds of people and coached them, there is mm -hmm. often the argument between moderation and cutting out. Can you talk to that a little bit? Well, I can only speak for myself and the people I've worked with. I think once we've tipped over the edge and we've had started to have a problematic relationship with alcohol and we've got that neural pathway that's really worn really, really deep, that we've got that pleasure reward thing going on in our minds, in our brains, it's very, very hard to go like to really moderate after that. Some people do it. I have heard some people do it. Um, but in general, what I've, I've, I've found, for, well, I guess myself, although I haven't drunk in the last six years, but remember I said I'd say I'm going to moderate, I'm going to moderate, and it just wouldn't work. And it just seems to be that that neural pathway is there no matter what. So as soon as we drink again and we have the substance, that, old, that part of the brain fires up and go again and it's like, ding, ding, ding. I want that. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. And we're back on that treadmill again. Okay. So it's really hard. That's for people that have had a problematic relationship with alcohol. I'd, in terms of people who are already moderate drinkers, I couldn't really say because I, I'm assuming that they've got it under control. So it's, it, it's different for them. They wouldn't have mm -hmm. that same neural pathway network going on for them, you mm -hmm. know, and that can also depend on people's level of trauma or their their genetic makeup, their brain chemistry, it's different for everybody. If you've already mm. been someone that's really truly a moderate drinker that hasn't had a lot of negative effects from it, I would say in, in some ways too it's harder to quit when you're just yeah. very, very moderate. It doesn't have a, a big effect because it's like, well, why? I guess then you've got a way up to, Danny, then 
is it going to cause me more distress to get rid of it than to not? You know what I mean? But like, uh, I don't know, uh, have you seen the Andrew Huberman or heard the Andrew Huberman podcast where he talks about what's the safe level of alcohol and the, the amount's none? You know, so we do know now that there is no safe level of alcohol. There's no safe amount to have. It's, it's dangerous. So we can look at it like that. Moderation, I think, is is yeah, like I say, if you've had a problematic relationship, very, very hard. And I've seen it time and time again when I've worked with people and they've said, Danny, I've got this. I've definitely got this now. I, I know I've got this. And then sure enough, I hear from them six months later and they're like, shit, I'm back to where I started, if not worse. So we're looking at two different things here. If one person's already a moderate drinker, it's going to be a bit different. Perhaps they could just start to switch the ritual instead. If they're wanting to get rid of it, for health reasons or, you know, to, for whatever their reason is that they're wanting to get rid of it, mm. then maybe just try playing with a few things. Like you said, like having a nice ritual to come home to maybe trying, you know, getting a really beautiful teapot mm. and doing nice teas or just doing things differently for yourself and remembering what you're giving yourself by doing that. If you make a beautiful mocktail and you fill it up with nice botanicals and things. So really focusing on, well, actually, this drink, rather than being full of sugar and increasing my cortisol, increasing my estrogen, rather than that, I've got this other beautiful drink that's actually low in sugar, it's healthy for me, and think of the good effects that that's giving you. I think it's really vital to look for the more positive aspects in things and what yeah. we're gaining rather than what we're losing. And I, I just think that's really, really important. I know that's what helped me and it seems to work with people that I work with. Um, yeah. So just... Yeah, it says at the start of my podcast, you know, switch the ritual instead of ditching the ritual sometimes. So, you know, when mm. we're celebrating, can we celebrate in a different way? Can it look differently? Can it look different to how it used to mm -hmm. um, is really important. So still celebrating yourself but thinking about what you're giving yourself by changing the ritual, that might help people. Um, whether you've been a moderate drinker or whether you've been a heavy mm. drinker, still that same thing works. Mm. Does that help? Yeah. And it, yeah, and it actually took, it took me a long time to sort of realize how I was changing my habits. And so initially mm -hmm. I was just drinking um, sparkling water because if you had offered me a tonic water, I would be quite mortified because there's sugar, because obviously I did sugar at the same time. So I couldn't mm -hmm. drink mm -hmm. anything else. And 10 years ago, there weren't lovely kombuchas and all of that on the mm -hmm. market. But mm -hmm. over time, I have realized actually when everyone around me is drinking quite heavily, when it's someone's birthday party, for example, and I would be on my third bottle of kombucha, for example, because now there are lovely botanical kombuchas. Sometimes I think, oh my gosh, this is like an amazing little shot for my microbes as well. And so it's like you say, it's yeah. not only that I'm not putting the alcohol, which is a class A carcinogenic into me, I'm also mm -hmm. adding other things I wouldn't have had. And, and so sometimes I add ginger or lots of lime juice and you can make such lovely mocktails anyway. Um, and Absolutely. so it's totally and the added benefit as well, isn't it? Yeah. hundred percent. And it's, I think if you're going to change any habit in life, you've got to look for the positives and what, what are positive effects that you're getting from making that change? Because as soon as we start to slip into, oh, I'm missing out, oh, this is not yeah. fair, blah, 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 it's going to be a terrible time too. And so you're almost suffering your choices. But yeah. if we make it a positive thing, then we're not suffering twice, you know. Uh, do you know what I'm saying? So yeah. we want it to be a, a suffer-free zone when we're <laughs> doing something. And it's a real gift, like, to really keep thinking, wow, I don't have to do that anymore. That's one thing I kept saying to myself. 
when I'd see my friends drinking or saw other people drinking, I just kept thinking, so glad I don't have to do that anymore, that I don't have to wake up the next day feeling like how I've been feeling in the past. And I get to do something, drink something that's better for me, that's going to make me feel better and have some other kind of benefits um, from mm. whether it's my skin, my gut health, you know, all those things, but mostly mm. my mental health, you know, so all those things. Alcohol mm. affects so many parts of our, all all parts of the system really. It affects the mental health, spiritual health, our emotional health often, often mm. the hormonal health, you know, mm. it affects so many things and so much um yeah, I guess it takes a lot. It takes a lot from us, and it's not until we mm. can step back and see the benefits of life without it that we start to go, "Wow, wow, do I really want to go back to that? Would I? Do I want that?" Yeah, but it takes a bit of work. You do have, to, I think, also, Danny. It takes a bit of mental discipline as well to try to remember the positives that we're getting because it's easy to slip back into that negative loop because we have that negative bias, right? So we can easily slip down that path. So it's really important to stay strong with your mind too. Tony mm. Robbins says, stand guard at the door of your mind. And I think that was really important for me early on to just be really strong with my thoughts and compassionate, but strong. Like, no, Danny, like talking to myself, no, we mm. don't need this. You don't need this. You want to feel good. Remember, mm. you want to feel, you want to have a good relationship with yourself. Remember, Okay. Mm. All right. I can do this. And yeah. it is really interesting because these sometimes when you bring a conversation into your mind, like it's been dry January, of course. And so there are loads more things on social media and everywhere promoting. Um, is it a sober life or a teetotal life? Or is there a difference between those words, actually? Do you know? Ooh, or is it just sober life, use... teetotal? Yeah. It's I the same. Yeah. same. Yeah. And so, so there is a lot of promotion around that and so in, it's in people's minds but it's it can often take a long time until you decide or know for yourself isn't it until people are really ready to think I'm going to moderate or I'm going to cut out or what are my reasons and I'm really hoping that after today's conversation if anything people understand or start to ask themselves why is it that they're drinking and going on that self sort of discovery a little bit because I think we learn so much about ourselves because me too I was so uncomfortable I kept thinking no one is going to sit next to me I am so boring what have I got to offer mm. I'm not dancing on tables at three o'clock in the morning I'm not the party entertainer like why would anyone want me there I had no confidence at all suddenly in being a worthy person that doesn't drink and isn't foolish and isn't fun and that was such a big learning for me to start to find my self-worth with who I truly was and not yeah. and not who I wanted to be under the influence of whatever it was. And wow, mm. what an awakening as well. Hey, thank you for listening so far. This podcast has an amazing Facebook community full of inspiring women supporting each other and sharing their stories. Please come and be part of it. We'd love to have you in the group. Click the link in the show notes and come in now. It's so amazing. Like that was part of my awakening as well, Danny. That it was like I've always seen thought of myself as this, like I said, this loud extroverted person. But when I realized, wow, I'm not, I'm actually quite quiet. I like time at home. I don't actually love being this sort of big center of attention person. I do like to get attention, but not so much <laughs> yeah. as what I thought that I was, you know, and 
once you realize that about yourself, it's like, wow, oh my gosh. So alcohol really creates this whole other persona of someone that is not actually even us. And really that person, I think the persona that the alcohol creates really stems from a lot of fear. That's, you know, if we're really to get into it, it's like, what's the fear here? So what's the fear? Fear that I'm going to be judged or not fit in, or I'm not going to be liked. If I'm not liked, I'm not lovable. And where does that fear of not feeling lovable come from? And that's where we get really deep into what's really going on for us. But it takes, you know, it can take a while to get there. Or yeah. some therapy or a good coach to get you to yeah. really understand. Wow. And when when you do strip all that back, you do start to feel whole and you start to feel like this is me. This is my true essence. This is who I really am. And then I think real healing can start to happen in the body, in the mind, in the spirit when we can really, I don't know, yeah, become whole with ourselves, you know, and they call it recovery, but it's also discovery. It's discovering yeah. who we really are because all those adaptions that we've created, the loud personality, the drinking personality, all that is probably an adaption, a part of the personality that we've created from a young age to kind of get by, to fit in, to feel loved, to feel good enough, all those yeah. things. So, yeah, it's big stuff. Or when... Or when people just think, I just need to take the edge off after a long day or um, yeah. why not clock when you prepare the kids dinner. All of those are strategies when life and society and no one has taught us other strategies, right? Exactly. Yeah. Can I, I'd love to talk to that too, because say, so I work a lot with doctors and nurses, but they seem to be a large percentage of my coaching clients. And really what happens with, let's, let's say a nurse, for example, She's worked or he has worked all day and they've just been giving, 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 and they run off their feet and there's not enough people there to help support them in their jobs. They could have worked a double shift. You know, they're just working really long hours and just giving of themselves constantly. And by the end of it, because there's no time to stop probably for a lot of them throughout the day, their nervous systems are like up here. They're so far out of their window of tolerance that by the time they're driving home, they just feel, you know, what it's like when you when your nervous system's gone into overdrive. You start to feel anxious. You start to feel sweaty. Your mind's racing. All sorts of things. Short of breath. All those things that we can feel. What's going to help me? I just feel so stressed. I feel so stressed. A drink is going to help me, and that's what we've started to associate with. But if those people were taught, no, what I can do is actually sit and sit with my breath. I can extend my exhale. If so, if I was to breathe in for four and out for eight, just for four, five, ten rounds of breaths, I suddenly come out of this fight or flight state and into a rest and digest and I'm settling my own nervous system. And then doing that yourself without the use of alcohol. So and the other thing is when we drink the alcohol, it increases our cortisol. So it's actually giving us more stress. So we've got that moment of dopamine. Of course, that feels good. We get that momentary pleasure boom, but it's increasing our cortisol. So actually what's happening is we're creating more stress, more inflammation, all of that in the body. So what if, what if I was getting home and I've felt, I started to feel what's going on with my nervous system, yet my nervous system's a bit up. I'm a bit heightened. I'm a bit all over the place. Okay. I heard this on this podcast the other day. I might try it. Mm -hmm. I might sit and just breathe in for four and out for eight for a few rounds of breath deep into the belly, you know, and it doesn't take much. And there's no, what we're doing is we're decreasing cortisol. 
we're decreasing inflammation, all those things, and we're coming back into a, a safer space for ourselves. And then, you know, we go into our home, we get inside, we're better for the kids, we're better for our partners, we're able to make better decisions for ourselves from that place. You might have a cup of tea instead, you know, but you're coming at your decisions too from a better place, a much more settled nervous system. Mm. Um, so, yeah, so it's always thinking, you know, I say to people that I work with, talk about this on the podcast, before you drink, before you go and have the drink or before you go to the bottle shop, can you create a pause for a moment to ask, okay, what's happening to me? What's happening for me right now? And what do I really need? So not what do I want, but what do I need in this moment? Mm. So I'm going to need to take some breaths or a long shower or a bit of a walk or put some music on. What what What's my body telling me I need right now? And that's such mm. a great place to start. And we're starting to listen to our body. We're listening to the signals that our body is giving us rather than ignoring them like we've been taught to do for so Apps. many years. From mm. when the, little, the kids are little and they have a full or on their push bag and you pick them up and they're crying. They go, oh, no, no, don't you cry. You didn't hurt yourself. Good boy, strong boy, off you go. We're all overriding, aren't we, people's yeah. experiences, their true experiences from such an early age. I'm going to go 100%. back to the lady's example I read mm -hmm. out for both of us. She mm -hmm. said, I miss the social fun of drinking, though. I miss the 7 p.m. treat of a glass of wine. I miss a glass of wine with dinner. I'm really struggling to get my head around this new relationship with alcohol. Any thoughts? And from here, hearing you and listening mm -hmm. to your story, we need to get expectations, right? I'd like to say to this lady, <laughs> whoever she was in our Facebook community, it is going to be uncomfortable and you will have to get through a patch where you're going to sit with being uncomfortable, whether that's in social situations or whether it is at home. And that is the expectation we have to get right, isn't it? Any change of behavior around alcohol is not just going to be click and go easy. It's yeah. great she was in the group. It's great she's addressing it. She's muddling through those thick, muddy waters of what it means yeah. to change a lifelong behavior, right? And yeah. expect for it to be hard. Expect maybe to yeah. fail multiple times and then pick mm. yourself up and try again, should you want to. But don't yeah. expect to just change your behavior and be all right with it. And it just be easy, right? hundred percent. And just like we're, you know, talking about that neural pathway before, like our brain wants to keep us in our comfort zone. It wants to keep us where we're safe, where it burns less calories, you know, all those, any kind of change of habit creates, we've got to change our thinking patterns and it's causes, that causes discomfort. So, you know, remembering too, that after a couple of weeks, the, our brain just wants to take us back to the old patterns, you know, so that's where it really starts to feel uncomfortable when we start to feel the tension in the body. And that's where it's really important then at that point to start thinking, well, what do I want for myself? How do I want to feel? How do I want to be, you know, and then if we start to use a more positive framework around that, then, well, actually, this is great. You know, like I, I miss it, but I'm okay. You know, or I feel whatever, but I'm okay. You know, I'll be okay. I'm going to give myself something nutritious instead or something that's going to hydrate me instead. And again, like you were saying before, Danny, thinking of those positives that we're getting out of it, it's, I think, you know, half of this is how we, how we view it, you know, the mindset that we take on when we're changing a habit, you know, mm. if anything that we're trying to do, if it's becoming a drag, it's going to be really hard. 
So my husband, bless him, he's his whole thing all along has just been just decide it's easy. And some people just want to kill him for saying that, but it's helped so many people that one saying, just decide it's easy, decide it's fun, decide it's easy, make it a bit of a game with yourself. It's all how you look at it. So in, uh, sorry to derail, but this is important too. In my first two weeks of taking this year off alcohol, I thought, what what have I done? Oh my God, this sucks. Like, and I was having all those uncomfortable feelings and was terrible. I'm just like, how am I going to do this for 12 months? Oh my God. It was awful. And then I just realized really quickly, I wasn't going to give in because I'd said I was doing it 12 months and that's just how I am. Very stubborn. And I thought, well, Danny, you're going to have to change your thinking around this because you're either going to suffer this for 12 months or you're going to make it a good time. So it was literally in that moment, I thought I've got to turn this around. So every time the negative came up, I just kept trying to flip it kept thinking about the benefits I was going to get, how I wanted to feel, you know, going back to that. Mm. I think that's really important, you know. Yeah. Yeah. And then also a bit of language, isn't it? I always felt initially when I said, oh, I'm not drinking, people would say, oh, jokingly, oh, are you pregnant? (laughs) Or um, they didn't want to ask why I stopped drinking because maybe they assumed the only reason to stop is when you've had a real problem. Um. But over time, I became a bit braver and I kept saying things, you know what, I am recovering from cancer. I'm a while on, but this is important to me. And I felt that this is a really good way of stopping people in their tracks because no one can argue. No <laughs> with one's going to with that. that. Yeah. No, exactly. And so I wonder if people at home had language they could use um, or can prepare something. This is a bit like cognitive behavior therapy, isn't it? I always put that in my head. I was always thinking, mm-hmm. how am I going to prepare tonight? Do you need to address it? If someone was going to ask you, what do you say? Practice. Practice a couple of sentences and it makes makes it much easier. You can open a conversation with a sentence or you can shut it down. And I often just shut it down and I just went on and did my thing. Um, feeling uncomfortable for a long, long time. I remember there was this one party and then I'll let you go because I know you've been here for a long time, Danny. But there was That's this good. one party of a friend of mine and it was a round birthday and we all had to dress up and I hate a dress up. And a dress up party in fancy dress when you're sober really isn't that much fun anyway. And we all had to dress up as um, a favorite record and people were amazing and went all out and I decided to go easier Sunday morning that lovely song and I turned up in my dressing gown with slippers on (laughs) and I felt more uncomfortable than ever before and that was quite a few months into sobriety because everyone was there in their sparkly glitter dresses and I actually dressed like I wanted to feel but it wasn't appropriate for someone's 40th (laughs) And I just I think, think what yo- what, I know for me too, but what yoga always teaches me is just to sit with the uncomfortable for a bit longer. I know you have a yeah. lot of connections to that too. And and yeah, I think that was a really, with hindsight, the best advice I wanted, I would give myself now is, Danny, it's going to be uncomfortable and there is no other way around it. You just have to get through, but it will ease yeah. off. And now I don't even think about it anymore. It does. It gets so much easier. Like I think at the start, particularly when I was in the negative mind 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 frame, it almost became obsessive. But once I let go of that, that I think the obsession lifted too when I switched the mindset. So again, I just think just keep thinking about 
what you want and how you want to feel and the person you want to become and and your own healing. It's so important, you know, thinking about this one drink, you know, that can create so much havoc in our life, on our nervous system, on our hormones, you know, on every part of our body. Well, what would it be like to give this away? You know, can I just say one other thing, Danny, which I think might be helpful for the listeners? I think it's really good to always weigh up pros and cons. Yeah. And so if you were sitting here thinking about, oh, should I, shouldn't I, or, you know, you're not sure, like some of those those um, Facebook community people had said, I do four columns. And so write down what's the pros of drinking? What does it give me? It's really important to understand what it gives you because you can't change your relationship with something when you don't truly understand what it gives you. And it does do something for us. Otherwise, we wouldn't do yeah. it. So it's good to understand that it's silly to kind of go, oh, no, you know, it's, it's there's a bit of denial in that. So it's important. Write down what it gives you and then write down the cons. So then write down everything that all the disruptions, any any like negative impacts on the mental health, physical health, finances, all those things, list it all down and you'll find that the list is a lot longer than the pros. But then so that's for drinking. So that's what drinking gives me, pros and cons. Then for the other list, what if I was to quit drinking? So what would be the the pros for quitting drinking? It's going to be similar to the cons from the last list. But then also this is really important. What would be the cons? So what would be the negatives that I would have to deal with about quitting drinking? And write them down. It's really important to see those so we're not blindsided when things come up. So say, for example, me, you know, my my the reason I did it was good time, helped me feel confident, da-da-da. So then I've got to realize if I was to give it away, I've got to deal with those things. So there's some things that I have to address. And then how could I attack those things? So if I do it for confidence and then I wouldn't have my confidence there anymore, okay, how am I going to work with that? So then you've got a really good solid plan around those things that that could be potential blockages or could blindsight you out of nowhere. And it's, it helps to be prepared like that. And then you get to weigh it up too. Well, is it worth it? You know, yeah, what, what's I love a better that. option for me after seeing that? It's so simple. And, I mean, a lot of counsellors do that kind of thing. It's such a simple, simple practice, but I just find it helps. And I do that with most decisions that I'm facing mm-hmm. now. I just yeah. find it so helpful and it just seems to really give some clarity over the decision too uh, if you were to do I, something like that. Yeah, I love that because there might mm. be a lot of people out there listening to this who might have a couple of glasses a week and they have no real negative impact but maybe because of the history Mm. of cancer and because of all of the worries and the fear and the guilt they think they should give that up and maybe that equation for them would be actually I carry on as I am and that's all right for me and maybe someone does this and thinks actually I want to change my behavior off the back of it and it's so personal to all of us and all I really want is for people to walk away inquiring a little bit more of how they can take that conversation into the rest of the year yeah whatever that means for them because it's exciting and there is opportunity not even in changing a habit just understanding what we do and why we do it um yeah gosh I could talk to you forever really likewise I'll just jump in again there too it's so like take it away for a bit and just see what it brings up for you just so you have that understanding of yourself you might learn something about yourself like wow I'm actually am a quiet person I like time to myself or wow, I I do feel really uncomfortable in social situations or wow, I do freak out when I'm on my own. 
and I can't sit in my own company. Okay, maybe I need to do a bit of work on that with a coach or a therapist. You know, I think working with someone, definitely therapists, like just amazing if, you know, to just work through all that stuff. But you've got something, you've got a framework to work with then too. If you take away something that's giving you a bit of a crutch, then you start to see where there might be some voids or some deficits that might need a bit of addressing and helping. And who knows what kind of ripple effect that's going to have on your healing journey, you know, along and as, you know, becoming whole again um, and just doing it lightly with compassion, you know, just, yeah, I think we can get so serious and uh, I have to and da, 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 but no, like just doing it from a place of compassion because like I said earlier, that being in that place of guilt doesn't help anyone. Thank you so much, Danny. Mm-hmm. That was such a lovely, lovely conversation. I've learned Thanks, lots. Dad. It's allowed me to reflect back, which is always great, isn't it? Um, yeah. Yeah. Sometimes we make one change and lots of other things change, isn't it? Um, oh. And that's the beauty about all of this. We have this one life and how we how important, especially when someone has had a cancer diagnosis and so many other changes came along, like the menopause and other long-term chronic side effects of cancer treatment, often all of this happens to us. And so whenever we can step into our power where we have agency over creating a change for mm. ourselves, it's hugely healing on so many levels because we're suddenly Crazy. feeling we have agency and a little bit of control and not everything needs to happen to us because we can't change the things that happen to us, but we can change other things. And suddenly it all balances out a little bit. Anyway, that's how I felt over the years. I then changed my food. Yeah. It's just suddenly Mm -hmm. you feel, Oh, I, I have agency too. Um, Thank you, Danny, Mm -hmm. so much for our conversation today. Thank you. Thank you, Danny. Thank you so much. Right. And as promised, I am now in my kitchen and I want to make you my favorite Friday night mocktail using kombucha and green tea. And I've been making this for a long time. And so I really want to show you how I do it and how easy it is. And as an inspiration for you to get really creative to make up your own mixes. And so I've got a lovely big glass. And this morning, um, before I did anything, I brewed um, some really lovely green tea. And so I've got that green tea in there. I added a tiny bit of honey. Um, I had some really lovely Manuka honey this morning. And so I just put a little bit of green tea. I would say that's like half a cup. Like if you have a mug, like half a mug of tea, like um, green tea in my glass. You don't take any kombucha. I don't want to advertise a brand or I don't want to, um, you know, just tell you what to get. I think you should make your, do your own research and make sure that when you look at the back of the bottle, it's not full of sugar and additives. So I've added the sparkling kombucha to my green tea. Green tea is full of antioxidants, which is really lovely, but it also gives me a little bit of that caffeine, not too much, but just a little bit of that stimulation. I've added the kombucha. Now, I'm a real fan of adding ginger, but that is because I don't have hot flushes. I like the warmth. I quite like that warm feeling in my belly. And so I am going to add a little bit of ginger. But if you're feeling spice isn't very good for you and it might actually increase the severity of your hot flushes, then just leave the ginger out. Did you know the best way to peeling ginger was with a little teaspoon? And so I learned that when I was on my nutrition in practice school, um, course 
And everyone started to peel their ginger just with the back of a spoon and you scrape it off. Anyway, that's how I get the peel off my ginger. I'm now going to just chop it, um, slice it finely and put a few, few slices of ginger into my kombucha and tea brew. I'm also going to add a little bit of lemon juice, which I love. And I'm going to pop myself a nice little lemon on top to make it really look like a cocktail. I will have that with a straw. I usually wait a little bit for the ginger to really enrich the flavor of the water. If you're thinking it's too much faff, you know, there are little bottles of um, ginger shots and they're not too bad, although they've got apple juice in them. Um, otherwise, the ginger would be too potent. You could definitely try something like that as well. So you can try a ginger shot, add a little bit of that in. But to me, that makes a really nice mixer. Yeah, it's got the tanginess of the kombucha, but it's a little bit diluted, so it's not as sparkly as it usually is because I've added my green tea. I just really love it. And you could be really creative. So for example, I've got some berries here, which are thawed. You could add some berries. They could be frozen and they can make your ice cubes. You can make yourself some really lovely ice cubes. And already I've got this other lovely drink that is a bit more like a buried kombucha drink and so really be creative and think what can I mix together I also love making mocktails using ginger beer but a whole can of ginger beer often is much too strong and also sweet and a lot of them are quite high in sugar so I use a bit of ginger beer I add a bit of sparkling water I add something else and before you know it you can make yourself some really lovely long drinks yeah I hope this is an inspiration for you and I hope this conversation was a really helpful one and useful one and it just gives you a little bit of that self-inquiry that is so lovely to take out of January into the rest of the year for all of us. <music>